Welcome to the Investor Coaching Show, a podcast to help you get an insider's view of the financial world and escape common investment traps. We look at the financial news of the day and help you make sense of it so you can relax about money. And here's your host, Paul Winkler. Okay, we are back here on the Investor Coaching Show. Paul Winkler, Ira Work. And we're gonna switch gears here. So one of the things that we want to think about in our 50s and even, well, before and after that, not only, at all points in time in life, is asset mixes and asset allocation and how you put a portfolio together. So Ira, the studies on asset allocation, how important is that? It's probably the most important thing you can do as an investor. Over 91% of the returns come from asset allocation. Yeah, so that is the big deal. Stock picking, which is what a lot of people focus on, and market timing, literally when studies were done on this with pension plans, they found that when companies with their pension plans engaged in that, they actually hurt returns. They didn't help returns engaging in those things. So asset allocation is everything. So first decision that an investor makes. And let's talk a little bit about the efficient frontier and just what that is, how it works, and why that's important, and how we use it in the investing process as we age. And, and well, there you go, tee it up. Well, the, the efficient frontier <laughs> was actually created by Dr. Harry Markowitz back in 1952. So we have what now, 70 years of data of of history uh, to prove that it really does work. And what the Efficient Frontier does is it shows different allocations, stocks and fixed income, and how they're combined, and how you can actually get a maximized return for the amount of risk you're willing to take. So and that fir- was the idea, is how do we maximize expected return for a given level of risk? That was really a thing. And they didn't almost didn't give him his doctorate when he was doing his dissertation right. because they thought it was so weird. Yeah. And the, the, the biggest problem that most investors have is the first thing they try to do is maximize their return, but they don't realize in many cases they're taking more risk than the return that they're actually receiving. Yeah, and hence we look at risk-adjusted returns, and you know that's a really important thing. And that's what he was doing. He says, hey, look, I think we can put the portfolio together to maximize expected return while minimizing the volatility as measured by standard deviation, how much of how big the hills and the valleys are, by putting things together that have low correlations with each other. That was the key. Right. Low correlation relationships where they're not moving together in tandem. If I have two people that have the same opinion on everything, one of them isn't needed. If we have two assets that are basically moving in tandem, one of them isn't needed. That was his premise. So where do we see the most dissimilar price movement? The most dissimilar price movement will be stocks and cash. In, in fixed income, absolutely. Or yeah. stocks mm-hmm. and very, very short term, like treasury bills, treasury notes, mm-hmm. anything probably less than five years, we'll see the most dissimilar price movements. Yeah, and that's where you get negative correlation, slight negative correlation with those asset categories. Where as stocks, they may move together, but to different degrees. You may have like small companies go up, you know, some years you even see a 70% return Mm -hmm. and you might see a 40% return for large. Well, did they move the same, you know, did they move the same direction, large companies and small companies? Yeah, they moved the same direction. So it'd be a positive correlation, but it's still dissimilar. And that was the idea behind that. 
So when you're younger, asset mix is going to be probably more toward the seven, that 95, uh, 85, 90% stock, depending upon when you say younger. Yeah, yeah you know. 30s. I'm talking, yes, yeah, so I probably should define that. <laughs> younger than us. Um, <laughs> 20s and, and then, 30s, right. And then as you get older and closer to retirement, then you would begin to reduce your risk down and lower your equity position. Um, I did that. That's, that's the first thing, by the way. What he just said was absolutely key, is reduce the equity asset mix for most people. That's going to make the most sense, depending on when they're going to use the money. But then what happens is you start to add more fixed income, more, more bonds, because you can't take as much of the ups and downs. Right. But you still need protection against inflation. That's why we still own equities all the way into retirement. Absolutely. And you have to own equities into retirement because equities are the area of investing that will actually long term outproduce inflation. And if you're taking income from your portfolio, you're going to be selling both your fixed income and your equities so that you need the equity growth to stay ahead of inflation. And the reason that equities have historically outpaced inflation, as I was talking about, is because what's inflation prices going up? Who's raising prices? Companies. You own the entities raising prices. When we own fixed income investments, they basically pay us back what we gave them. Now, if inflation has eroded the value of our currency, there's where you've got problems. And, and ironically, a lot of times when people are worried about the dollar, what do they do? They go to things that actually don't protect them against inflation. Mm -hmm. So uh, that is really, really key to understand. So what we do is, is sometimes what we'll do is in your 50s, you may get to the point where you're going, okay, when am I going to retire? And let's say that period in time when I'm going to start to take in, that's the question I ask is, when are you going to start to take an income? That's what's key. When I'm looking at starting to take an income, that's when I want to get somewhere in the neighborhood. Studies vary on how much, but typically there's a range. No less than about 50% stocks. Uh, and then some studies go up to 70, 75% stocks is the right asset mix for how much to have in stocks when you take an income. Now, what happens is why would I have such a range? Well, it may depend on how much income you're gonna take, how dependent on your portfolio you are, how much flexibility you have. Do I absolutely have to have the same income each year or can that vary a little bit? So talk about, Ira, the process of going, let's say that I'm in that mode where I'm still in accumulation phase. And let's mm -hmm. say I have 75% stocks and then I want to get to, let's say, 60% stocks to take an income. How do we transition from our 50s to when we're going to physically take the income? Well, I'll use myself as an example. I have always been in, well, my career, which will be 40 years in March. Uh, <laughs> been around a while. <laughs> uh, I was always in a 95% stock portfolio. Sure. So I had an, a number that I, would, that I have in mind that I would like to have at the age of 70. So let's just use an example of a million dollars. So that portfolio has a risk of dropping 94% based on standard deviation in any single given year. Yeah, with a 90, well, you know, it's, mm -hmm. it's very, very, very rare. Look back at the Great Depression. People hear that and mm -hmm. hear what he's saying and go, well, that's crazy. Right. Because you did have a drop in the value of large U.S. stocks of 80%, mm -hmm. uh, about 90% for small companies in that particular year. So you can't deal with that much volatility. Now, it'd be a very rare instance in history, but recognizing that that could happen, what happens if I know how much volatility I could have and if that volatility comes through, 
I'm not freaked out about it. But if I don't realize it can happen, that's when I panic, I sell. And then the market, you know, during the depression came back and a lot of people missed it because they didn't realize it could go down that much. So the point being, you don't want to be all stocks. So if you're 95% stocks and you're getting ready to retire or you're very, very heavy, that could be a big problem. 60, 40 might be 60% stocks, 40% bonds might be a target. So we're going to use that as an example. Okay, we're going to take a quick break right here. I'm Paul Winkler. He's Ira Work. This is the Investor Coaching Show on Supertalk 99.7 WTN. Thanks for tuning in to the Investor Coaching Podcast. Now, you may be one of these people that's been listening and realizing, wow, investing, there's a lot more to it than meets the eye and financial planning, tax laws constantly changing and recognizing that maybe you might need some help in this area, but you don't want just anybody to help you out. So we have 10 offices in the Middle Tennessee area, and everything we do is fee only. We align our interests with your interests. So you can get an initial 15 minute phone call with any one of our offices just by going to paulwinkler.com forward slash call. That's it. Every one of the offices is run by somebody with 20 plus years experience. They're all degree planners. They all have academic backgrounds in investing and you can get the help that you need. So if you want to set up a complimentary phone consultation, just go to paulwinkler.com forward slash call. And we look forward to seeing you soon. All right. This is the Investor Coaching Show. Paul Winkler, Ira Work, talking about asset allocation. So let's just continue that. So how do we move? Let's say we've got a 10-year period. We're at 75% stocks now, and we need to be at 60. How do we make that transition from here? Do we do it all in one fell swoop, or how do, how do we do it? No, what we're doing is we're slowly moving our portfolio, like 2% a year, out of stocks into fixed income. And then as the markets are moving up and down, if inequities or stocks actually have a, a rise, we may end up moving 3% or 4% the following year. So we're slowly adjusting this out of stocks into fixed income. So it, it is what we call a frontier adjustment. So little by little, what we found in the research was that when you made that adjustment slowly, that you, you could maximize expected return while reducing that volatility as we needed to reduce it. So you physically get to retirement and you're at that target. Now you may have different portfolios. You might have Roths, you might have non-qualified accounts, which are taxable accounts, you may have IRAs. And do you always have them all at the same asset mix? It depends. You may. It depends. You may not. <laughs> that, was, all... that was pretty diplomatic, yeah. wasn't it? <laughs> well, it, it all depends on when true. you're doing the planning, how are you going to use the money? Yeah. Um, I have some clients that they just have their Roth IRAs, uh, which they have no intention of using. Mm -hmm. um, very, very more aggressive. With exactly. a higher exactly. stock portfolio because their feeling is we just want to allow this money to grow and leave it as the inheritance so our kids get tax-free income. Other clients will have a lower percentage because they want to be able to take money out of all of their portfolios so that they can control taxes more. So they have their, let's say, joint or individual accounts, which are non-retirement. Money comes out with capital gains. Then there's their IRA or their 401k, which money will come out taxable, what's required minimum distributions. And then they can take money out of the Roth IRA tax-free. So it gives them a stool, if you will, let's say a three-legged stool, mm -hmm. so you can control 
where, where your taxes are coming from and how much you're going to pay. And I think it's a really, really good point he's making there because let's say that you're a person that is, you have Irma, you have these, these certain thresholds that if you go over them, uh, and then Medicare can be affected, your premiums can be affected. If you're pulling out money from a taxable account, but if you take another couple of extra dollars, you can actually end up with a big increase in your premiums. So you mm -hmm. might take that extra money that's needed from the Roth in order to protect yourself from that. Yeah. So there it does. It's, it's, a, it's a really good uh, answer actually that it depends as to where you're gonna take that from. So asset mix, and then once you get to that retirement, when you're actually physically taking that income, uh, you know, there was an old rule and just uh, one of my little pet peeves, there was an old rule and rules of thumb can sometimes be really, really bad. Take 100 <clears throat> minus your age. <laughs> Remember that one? Or 120. Um, or 120. Right. I've seen that one before yeah. too. Minus, minus your age and that tells you how much you're supposed to have in, in stocks. Right. The problem, uh, or in bonds actually. Yeah. But, yeah. So the problem with all of those rules. Yeah, in stocks. I, I said that right the first time. Right? So, there you go. Yeah. The problem with all of those rules is it's an oversimplification of a way for advisors to explain something that is actually a little bit more complicated and they don't want to take the time to actually educate their clients. And they may not know it, quite frankly, because I've, I've seen a lot of where they just don't realize. Because if you, let's say, let's use that example just for you, so you see what I'm talking about here. Remember I said earlier, having at least 50% of the portfolio in equities is what they found when you're taking an income. Well, if you're, let's say you're using that rule, 100 minus your age, 100 minus and you're 75 years old, that would tell you to only have 25% in stocks, which is lower than what the studies actually indicated was a good protector. Now, there are new studies that actually show that some people, can, it actually can make sense to increase your equity holdings as you get older because your time horizon is shorter. So, you know, recognize that, you know, rules of thumb are great and everything uh, for explaining things, but they can be really bad in practice and you want to get that. Well, I think one of the great examples mm -hmm. of where a rule of thumb is really bad to just count on mm -hmm. is the rule of 72. All right. You know, how much of a return does it take for your money That's a to really double? Good example, yes. So when we think about the S and P so 500, so rule of seven, seven for those that don't what, know what it is, rule of seventy-two. What it is. Okay. So when we talk about the S and P 500 with a historical return of let's just say nine percent, if you take seventy-two and divide it by nine percent, it will take eight years for your money to double. Mm -hmm. So when we look at, or if you know that you want your money to double in six years, you would divide six, the number of years, into seventy-two and you need to get a 12% rate of return. Mm -hmm. Well, it's a great rule if you're talking about a fixed income investment. Or get, or just to ex understand the compounding, the issue of compounding, right. right. Right, but it works really great with a fixed income investment because you can yeah, have the same, yeah. a seven, a seven, a seven, a seven, you know, uh, percent and for nine years, or let's say for eight years, and yeah. then you have like a 12% rate of return, right. But then you have a 20% drop, and it averaged out for 7% for that 10-year period. But you haven't quite doubled your money because that 10% drop is on the highest amount at that end, mm -hmm. which can end up bringing you down below your money doubling, but you still got a 7% rate of return. Mm -hmm. So investors yeah. often wonder, well, I arrived having an 8% rate of return. Why didn't my money double over the last nine years? Yeah. Well, because the stock market, is in linear. That's right. It goes up and down in different amounts. And as a result of that, 
you have to take a long-term return uh, look and investment time period. And that's a really good explanation of equity risk again. Now, let's say if I have an aggressive asset mix with all stocks, I could go 10 years with no return. Historically, I could do that. And then you could have the next 10-year period where it quadruples. I mean, so Absolutely. that's that's why. And then if you look at the whole 20-year period, I said 10 years, nothing. Next one, quad it may be exactly in that average. So that is really, really key to understand. Asset allocation. Hey, this is Paul Winkler. Hope you enjoyed today's edition of the Investor Coaching Show. If you want to learn more about what we do, go to our website, paulwinkler.com. You can watch some of the videos there, and if you're not already a client, you can set up a free initial consultation. Until next time, I'm Paul Winkler, reminding you that I believe that more educated investors are more competent investors, and confident investors are more successful investors. Have a great one. Advisory services offered through Paul Winkler, Inc., an SEC-registered investment advisor. The opinions voiced and information provided in this material are for general informational purposes only and not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine what investments are appropriate for you, please consult with a financial advisor. Paul Winkler, Inc. does not provide tax or legal advice. Please consult your tax or legal advisor regarding your particular situation.